How would you define creativity? Are you born creative? Why is creativity important for work and play? All questions I ask of my guests. Real people living real lives. Interesting, thought-provoking and inspiring. Creative Conversations with me, Jacqueline Goddard. Enjoy. I'd love to welcome to my podcast today, Annie Jeffrey. Uh, good afternoon, Annie. Good afternoon, Jackie. Nice to be here. Um, yeah, it's lovely to have you here. And Annie, you are the Chair of Trustee and Founder of HEART, which is an art therapy charity based here in Hampshire. So can you tell us a little bit about HEART before we sort of delve into anything deeper? What is it and, and what is the aim of HEART? Um, HEART is a charity that I set up myself in 2014 in response to the understanding that there was a gap in provision for people to access creative therapeutic work um, to support mental health. And it came about really because I met uh, an art therapist who was self-employed and finding it very difficult to find work in this part of the world. We're in the south coast area of the New Forest and you can get quite a lot of access to these services in Bournemouth, Southampton and Winchester. But there is a huge area across the whole New Forest where that's very difficult. So it's been an aim really to try to provide um, across the forest the, the kind of services that are just not easily available and it's always a challenge because of transport across the forest and how people can actually make contact with us. Yes yeah yeah I mean, and, and they do a, an amazing job. So in terms of I mean obviously you've worked a lot with charities in your life but can you just give us a potted history or you know, how did you get here? How did, how did Annie Jeffrey start out and, and where, where did all this kind of creativity in your life come from do you think? Um, I'm not sure why I have got any creativity at all. Um, I don't come from a particularly creative family and I didn't get much encouragement from parents who really didn't understand what art was about. I loved my art lessons at school but I was in a class where there was a star pupil who was a brilliant artist and the rest of us didn't get much of a look in so however good we were I don't think we were ever going to be able to compete and I was a bit frustrated by that. So I sort of went on from there and did um, a few classes with life drawing and portraits and things like that, but just evening classes. And it really wasn't till I went to France um, and I met somebody who was a sculptor giving uh, classes. And I did a week working with him to do a portrait head, which we did in clay and then cast in plaster. And I got absolutely hooked on the whole thing and continued to do that um, because we lived in France for about 10 years. And... I then ended up almost doing an apprenticeship with this chap who was half English, half Chinese with a Northern Irish wife living in the wilds of southwest France. It was the most bizarre coincidence of things. But anyway, um, I went from working in clay and plaster to starting to carve stone. And once I started carving stone, that was the thing that I just took to like a duck to water. It was so therapeutic. And that is the word that there is something incredibly um, focusing and soothing about hitting a lump of stone with a mallet and a chisel when you're feeling a bit frustrated. It's a great way to get that out of your system. But also creating something that's soft and rounded. And I tend to go for sort of fairly abstract shapes and bodies and things which are, um, you know, really amazingly tactile when you finish them. And you're creating it out of basically a hard lump of something that's existed already for a thousand years or so. 
And I find that completely absorbing and fascinating. And that was my beginnings with any kind of therapeutic art, although I didn't identify it as therapeutic, perhaps to start with. Um, but that was the, the opening up of something. And then I moved back to this country in 2000, met up with a couple of people who were already um, very creative artists in their own right. One of them limped me, uh, taught me how to weld which is a very girly thing to do. So I was able to create metal armatures and work with steel and all kinds of other medium. And I won a prize for one of my stone carvings, um, which kind of pushed me forward with my confidence. Uh, did a couple of courses in more traditional types of stone carving um, and had a rented studio for some considerable time. Um, and then I got the opportunity to set up something with a, an old school friend, um, which was about, um, it was a community interest company to help to progress people's artistic aspirations towards being shown in galleries, but also to create education and community work. Um, I found that slightly frustrating and stepped away from it quite quickly, but it whetted my appetite to show that people could benefit enormously from working creatively. So I, a couple of years later, set up Heart, and that was because I had an accidental meeting with this art therapist who has continued to work with us to this day. Um, and it's been a huge learning curve and I can only say I'm really pleased that I found it, but I wish I'd found it 20, 30 years earlier because I think it could have been something that really meant a huge amount to me for a lot longer. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I mean, obviously, did you didn't study art in any kind of conventional no, I've got absolutely no formal art training whatsoever. In fact, the only thing I've got any formal training in at all is shorthand and typing. So that tells you how old I am. Um, but it's something I've always enjoyed was drawing. I used to be the child that drew all over their exercise books in class and got told off for it. Um, but it's the 3D thing that really matters most to me. And although I do try to do a bit of painting in particular portraits now, um, it's, it's the 3D aspect of sculpture that fascinates me and I've been lucky enough to get one or two things cast in bronze um, and all of that, the whole process is just riveting even though that's not something the artist actually engages with themselves but working with a foundry and seeing what they do is, is fascinating as well. So, so many different aspects and so many different ways of being creative. Um, yeah. For me, it's stone carving that really gets me. But um, you know, it, it can, can you it, picture it, anything from your your past that that would, it, it had that sort of sculpture element to it, or was it something that you literally came upon when you were in France? I think it's something I literally came upon. I had played with clay. I went years ago. I'd gone to an evening class, and it was a pottery class, and. When it came to me having my turn on the wheel, which we had to limit because there were quite a lot of us in this class and there weren't that many wheels. And um, I actually managed to spray the entire class with wet clay. And the teacher said, I don't think that's your thing. Try just doing some modelling with some clay. Yeah. So once I started playing with the clay, that fascinated me as well. And I wasn't interested in making pots. I thought those were, I hate to say it, but I think they're beautiful when they're done properly, but I was not good at it. So I was just modelling figures and faces and started to, to get that sort of 3D um, understanding of, of what it makes, you know, how you make something like that when you start off with a ball of something flat and then you turn it into something that's quite different. And, and that was the first thing. But then for years, I didn't do any of it. Um, don't know why. It was just not part of my life. No, no. I mean, I've seen your amazing stone sculpture of the <laughs> she's not quite reclining is she the, the the and and it is a rather large 
to stop you fumbling around she's actually called organic woman and i have to be careful how i say that um and she's a piece of sculpture that was carved out of a five-ton block of portland stone and i had the joy of going down to the quarry at portland and picking out my raw lump of stone direct from the quarry which was an amazing um experience and then she was craned up to the studio space i had at um sway and then I spent nearly two years working on this because it had to be done mostly outdoors because the thing was so big, I couldn't actually get it into my studio space for a long time. And then once it was finished, and it is supposed to be a figure that's sort of organically coming up out of the ground. So it's very raw and unsculpted, um, if you like, at the base, but it becomes smoother and more obviously female form as you come up to the top lines. Um, and it, it, it was just the most incredible experience to do. It was supposed to eventually go into a sculpture park, but the sculpture park never happened. So she's ended up in a hotel um, on the edge of a hotel garden and car park. But, you know, she's still there. And I yeah. still go past her and think, I did that. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think it's an amazing piece of work. And in fact, I'd, I'd, I think I'd, I'd met that sculpture before I'd actually met you. So <laughs> yeah, it was quite amazing to, to, to realise it was you that had actually done it. So if anybody gets the chance to go to the Gordleton Mill yes. in this way, then go and have a look because, uh, yeah, she's still there and she is quite amazing, quite amazing. Yeah. Um, so what do you say, what is your kind of definition then of creativity? How would you define it? I think it's anything where you use your brain to make something happen. And I, I mean, honestly, that can be from reading a book to making a cake to sewing a button on. I mean, it, it's making change. And if that is something that then didn't exist before and you've created it, um, it doesn't matter what that is. It's, it's still creative and it's, it's connecting your right and left side of your brain. I know that there's neuroscience around it, but it's just an absolute thrill to take for me a lump of stone that could be just a rough piece of stone or it could be a carved block or whatever and then turn it into something that simply never existed before and very often and i'm speaking from my perspective you will start with a, a, an idea in your mind of what you want to do and if you're really organized you'll make a clay model of what you want to do and then try and replicate that in the stone and it rarely turns out like that because stone like wood or anything else has its own little in you know little imperfections and things and if you hit one you can break a bit of stone off and there's that you know the joke about um you know the hand coming off and, and all that kind of thing well um it doesn't matter it's what you create that didn't exist before um so that's that's the magic of it for me and it's something that is unique to everybody and it can be in a you know it can be anything for anyone it can be um picking up a matchbox and carving matchsticks into little models it doesn't matter it's just that absorption of your mind into something new i think that's, yeah. that's really one yeah. of the best ways i can describe it yeah no that's certainly something that's that's come up before in some discussions of, uh, of trying to define what creativity is i mean you know somebody has said it as simply as it's just doing oh. so, that, so that you know as long as you're doing something then you are creating something um also you know are our thoughts creative so is every thought we have a, a creation because it's a, it's a new thing to us or, or you know mm. It could, it could go quite deep, couldn't it? I think it's also to do with, um, it's also very often to do with problem solving. How do I get from A to B? And you do have to be creative to do that. So one of my biggest concerns is the amount of lack of creative work that's now going into schools and the fact that the arts are being reduced and the education around arts is being reduced in schools. 
so that children are not getting the understanding that if you don't have an immediate answer to something, you use your brain to figure out how you get from this situation here where I have no solution to, oh, I found a solution. And they want to be given every single step along the way. And I think that's really sad because they're losing out so much on the very essence of what makes us human that we can problem solve and it's really wrong that people see the arts as being separate from that because actually I think they're completely integrated and they shouldn't be encouraged hugely. Yeah. yeah and I think there is that real connection um, between uh, uh, the, the problem solving and the, and the creative mind you know that, mm. that whether it's uh, creating a maths problem or creating you know a, a, a bio you know something with biology or, or a Mm. an experiment you know it's it's yeah. all creative and we kind of have this we seem to be tied up with this thought that in order to be creative you need to be able to draw so people will say mm. well, you know I'm not creative because I can't draw it's like mm. you no know, if you were if you were an artist maybe you could draw but obviously you know being creative is something completely different and maybe schools don't do you think maybe schools don't understand that I think there's too much emphasis on just picking up a pencil and drawing a drawing and having a recognisable outcome from that. And I think people are beginning to understand that creativity has all sorts of different forms. And the wonderful Grayson Perry with his art club during lockdown has been a joy. And I'm delighted he's going to come back again and he's been recommissioned for next spring. Um, Because it did start people thinking, actually, I can do that. It doesn't have to be great art. It doesn't have to be something that people judge and give me marks out of 10 on. It's what it does for me. Um, that matters more than anything and that's I think non-judgmental is one of the words that we use about everything that we do with heart because it's not about teaching somebody to be an artist it's about giving them an understanding of a number of tools and possibilities how they can then use it for self-expression and that creative little seed is there in all of us it just somehow or other doesn't get watered for a lot of people but if you water it in the right way my goodness it can be spectacular yeah absolutely so in that case we i would assume you would assume everybody is born creative that we all are i think so and i think for some people that creativity is more around the problem solving which would mean that you know you're perhaps more likely to be a really amazing mathematician but then if you look at how many people who are great musicians are also very good mathematicians so that is the the creative thing is still going on in that particular way so I do think people are born creative I think it's just how they have it Um, if they have a family that nurtures it and suggests you know we'll work on this we'll read stories we'll we'll maybe we'll make up stories or um, that you get the right teachers in schools in early stages I have a friend whose thesis I I typed out for her who was doing a, a mature student um, degree in art and she wrote that her taught her daughter had uh, in primary school had done a painting and she put the sky in as a sort of greeny turquoisey blue color with pink streaks going through it which could have been an evening sky or a morning sky and the teacher said oh skies are never that color they're just blue or gray and she said but I wanted to get the colors that you get in the roasting tin when you put water in it when you try to wash it up after Sunday lunch (laughs) and I thought now that is a creative child but she had that knocked straight out of her and was told no you can't do that by a teacher who probably was hard pressed or whatever she may have many many reasons for not actually you know following up on that but that child may have then lost that because they didn't think it was the right thing to do and that, that is taking them rights and wrongs out of things when you're being creative, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, that non, non-judgmental, I think, is, is you mm. know, 
it really is so important just not to not to judge people on what they can and can't do but just let them express themselves yeah uh, and it's in terms of um your own well-being in uh, and how you've used art for your own sort of therapy you said obviously the sculpture is very good at battering hammers <laughs> and stuff which I, I totally get but it did your love of doing that come from an, uh, a therapeutic need for yourself um i don't know that i identified it as such but i certainly know that i came to that in my 40s when i was living in france i started sculpting when i was 40 and i was feeling quite lonely we were in a very isolated place i needed something to occupy me and to give me um, a different outlook um, and it was just happened that i i was you know lucky enough to stumble upon this and then it became an absolute passion and then sort of 10 years later, it saw me through quite a difficult divorce and a period of depression when I was actually on medication and feeling very low indeed. Um, and I think, <clears throat> I'm not going to say it saved my life, but it certainly saved me from getting into a much deeper depression. And when I came out of the depression, I found that that was something that I could look back on and think, wow, you know, that, that was amazing. And it did give me a, a fantastic amount to focus on. Um, and that's when I really understood how much creativity can do for people. And I suppose it's no surprise that I was nearly 60 when I set heart up because that was when it really all dawned on me and talk about being a late starter, um, that this was something that's very powerful and could be benefiting lots of people for most of their lives. And I mean, the earlier you start, the better. If those are things that you can do for your own self care and, you know that is an expression that we've come to hear a lot of recently but it is about finding ways to manage your own emotions and even if you can't express them and you're not quite sure where they've come from if you get them out and you actually translate them into something tangible that's an incredible thing to be able to do it's, it's a real it's a gift and a great pleasure yeah and i i wonder i wonder then why why people find that difficult to do sometimes maybe to, to find a medium maybe it's a maybe it's a it's a, a, a finding something that works for them and perhaps people mm -hmm. just don't have, have that time. I think um one or two people said to me oh you're so lucky to have found that um, when I started sculpting and they could see what it did for me and I said well I just didn't stop looking you know because I've tried all sorts of things I've I've written quite a lot in my life but that never quite did this for me and um, you know I've been fairly musical at times and I've done a number of attempts at doing different things to try and engage me in the same way but the only thing that's done it and done it consistently is sculpture yeah. and I think you just have to keep unlocking doors and hoping that one of those doors will open into this world that you've been trying to find for yourself and like I said it could be somebody baking and decorating cakes it could be somebody who goes into um, book binding I mean I can't knit to save my life but at one time I used to make bobbin lace which is the most fiddly thing in the world and I can't actually see to do it anymore <laughs> but at the time I did enjoy it and it was very absorbing yeah yeah um, so I think people have got to try things and not be frightened of trying things and again that can go back you know when you're talking about art as therapy if somebody has knocked you back at some time and said oh don't do that you're rubbish at it then of course it takes a lot of courage to actually say, no, I'm going to try this again. And you just need to be in the right frame of mind. You just need to be in the right place. Perhaps somebody says to you, look, you know, I've got this here. Have a go at this. And it's giving people a chance to just have a go because you never know what's going to come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and certainly in, in, um, in terms of lockdown, I found myself, I, am, I mean, I'm from a creative background, as you know, I, I enjoy sort of 
my own creativity, but actually it's been uh, difficult. And I would imagine lots of people have found that they get so wrapped up in the sort of working and, and running a family and a household and all that sort of stuff that they don't give themselves time or permission to actually do something or give themselves the time to find something that they, that they would enjoy in that way and that would help them mm -hmm. in that way. But certainly in lockdown, yeah, I, th I think it's, certainly for me, it's been a, a very creative time. So uh, is there anything within lockdown that you found in yourself that you've done more of? Or have you thought of um, well, I've worked more. <laughs> um, I've had so little time. I had this fantasy that I was going to have, you know, at least three days of the week, a long weekend, basically, to be out in my studio and actually do some work. I haven't really managed it. And the problem with sculpture is that you do find it very hard unless you have consistent days at a time to go and work. You can't really just pick it up and do a couple of hours here and a couple of hours there because you need that continuity of creative flow especially if you're stone carving i have done things with um plaster bandage which is one of the most wonderfully fun and messy things to play with and make small sculptures quite quickly with um, but not enough time to actually be creative so my creativity if you like has gone into how do we manage this situation and trying to keep heart ticking over in some form although the output that we've had has been quite limited um, unfortunately we don't have the technical skills in a very tiny team to do as much online as I would have liked to have done um, and when there were those opportunities um, it was brilliant and we connected with um, SPUD who's another local charity that we've worked with and an FDC came up with some funding and we did the Nest project which is accessible still on our um, website and that's about 14 films now of people artists yourself and um, art therapists all providing options for people to engage with and very often using just found objects and so on to to have creative ideas and to develop those ideas um, so that was incredibly satisfying and that's certainly something we're looking at doing more of for heart going forward is how we actually engage with um, the online audience um, one of the disadvantages we've had in a way has been that we have a limited audience because our art therapy groups are normally limited to a maximum of eight people and therefore we haven't had a vast audience to go straight on to online working with um, and that's something we need to grow but we're looking at ways of doing that as well so uh, my brain has been very well exercised yeah. and I've had to come to creative um, ways of managing all of that uh, but I haven't actually had the creative output I would have liked to have done I have baked a few cakes um, <laughs> because that's fairly instantaneous and enjoyable yeah, um, yeah. but you know it hasn't been the creative time that I thought it might be at the outset so, yeah yeah, yeah. I, th I think I think a lot of people's time has been taken up if they haven't you know if they if they're having to work obviously but a lot of people have been trying to diversify certainly people that i know that are running their own businesses are suddenly you know like myself work and and like with heart as well it all kind of came to a, a crashing halt back in in march and i think people are just spent have spent that time thinking how am i going to diversify what do i do how do i transfer what i do in a room full of people to to yeah. a screen so yeah. yeah i think lots of people are having to do that I think one of the one of the pluses of um, how it's been has been that I have had the opportunity to go online and use time to connect on Zoom calls and networking with people right across the country, because what this has done is to allow that with the technology that exists now so that whereas 
before you'd have a meeting with maybe three or four people because they were in the local area and they could get together on a certain day at a certain time. You can now do a Zoom call with people in Durham and Cornwall and so on and get 20 people together, all with a similar background and offering each other an enormous amount of advice and peer support. And then in, in my, in, you know, what I'm talking about at the moment is charity peer support because with smaller charities you very often have just one person who is carrying a lot of the load um, and it's quite difficult to actually spread that and talk to other people and say oh it's not just me then and there's a lot of support you get in that so um, that's one of the big pluses yeah. and I wish I'd bought shares in Zoom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <hope you> all. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I found that as well I mean just the, the networking thing uh, online has has been a lifesaver really yeah. Uh, just in terms of, of being able to connect with other people and actually making more meaningful connections somehow. Yes. You know, if yeah. you end up with a break, in a breakout room with two yeah. people that you've never met before, it's, it's amazing how quickly mm -hmm. uh, you can get quite, uh, get to know each other, you know, yes. it's on a different level than sitting in a venue somewhere. Yeah, no, I, I think that's been one of the pluses. And uh, the other, the, the downside of that is you tend to be sitting in front of screen an awful lot, which is yeah. not very good for um, middle-aged spread and everything No, else. no, I know the feeling. Yeah. And just in terms of charities, just talking on the subject yeah. of charities, obviously throughout your, your life, you seem to have been connected with one charity or another. Can I just ask how, how that came about? What, what kind of started that for you? And, and what were the first charities that you were involved with? Um, the first thing I was involved with was um, Riding for the Disabled and I was involved there with the Fortune Centre which was still quite a young organisation but it's grown enormously over its 30 plus years that it's been in existence now and Riding for the Disabled was of course a national charity and the Fortune Centre had its own group and I was volunteering there on a regular basis and then they asked me to become chairman of that group, um, the, the RDA group um, from there, they invited me to become a trustee of the Fortune Centre itself, and through that, I then became trustee of a spina bifida group, which was based in Bournemouth. Um, and then I suppose it just sort of went on from there, although I then interrupted the flow somewhat by moving away to live in France for 10 years, because they don't do charity in the same way as they do in this country. Um, and then but while I was over there, I read about another charity that had been set up in um, Exbury in 1996. It was in a Mail on Sunday colour supplement. I mean, you know, before the internet was our main source of information. Um, and that was the Honeypot charity. And when I came back to live in this country four years later, because it was so local to the, the forest area in which I live, um, I got in touch with them and I became an ambassador for them. Um, and it was just something that grew from there, really. And I, I just feel very drawn to supporting organisations who are giving people chances in life that they just wouldn't otherwise get. And it's nothing to do with making me feel better about myself. It's genuinely to do with trying to give people opportunities that don't exist otherwise. And it, it's just something I feel very strongly and passionately about. So it just happens that these have all been forest, new forest based, and I am new forest born and bred, so I suppose it's not unnatural. But um, the local communities here, I feel, do have problems in terms of accessing bigger opportunities and services, and transport is such a big issue around here. So it's trying to get things to people as much as expecting them to travel to us to, to access all these things. Yes, I mean, we've certainly worked together on uh, trying to. to get buses out to people and, and having arts activities on buses. So that's, that's yeah. been a, a big one 
certainly for, for the New Forest and for myself. Um, and we, we've both been involved in as well in uh, Folio, which is obviously a New Forest collection of organisations, arts organisations in our area. So I mean, that's something you've been involved in right from the beginning. Yes. Tell us a little, us a little bit about Folio and, and what the involvement is there. Well, Folio is a sort of umbrella organisation which covers about nine, I think, separate organisations who are all involved in the arts, heritage and culture in the New Forest area. And it ranges from um, Forest Forge Theatre, uh, Forest Arts, um, there's CODA, which is a music trust, of which I'm also incidentally a trustee. Um, there is um, the St. Barb Museum and SPUD. Um, I'm going to miss some out, so I'm going to be very unpopular, but um, it's basically organisations that came together originally uh, under a New Forest District Council initiative to try to create um, a bit of a hub, if you like, for um, the arts, which were not particularly well represented um, across the New Forest, where I have to say I think probably tourism has been the driving force for um, where funding has gone and that kind of thing. But obviously creativity and the arts are important and so we came together a couple of years ago and branded ourselves as Folio New Forest in order to um, sort of launch ourselves at the New Forest show as an organisation that gave people an opportunity to connect with us individually but under that banner and uh, we've done some successful fundraising with um, Arts Council England funding to do a virtual reality presentation which we did last summer um, and it's just a, a kind of partnership organisation where we can work with others under that banner and perhaps get funding together. But it also is about peer support and helping each other and sometimes, you know, saying, well, if a bit of funding's not necessarily right for us, you could have a look at it for you and that kind of thing. And it, it's about cooperation and um, supporting each other as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely that, that sort of... Um collaboration between arts organizations between artists between creative people you know anybody once you get a, a few people together and yeah, and the, the ideas keep keep coming as i as i know that's why i should love those folio meetings we would sit down and do like a bit of a brainstorm and all these ideas would yeah. come um yeah and then you have to find the funding for them which <clears> yes always slightly more difficult so in terms of going forward and i know there were obviously issues with the lockdown and uh, Heart in particular as a charity. But what do, how how do you see what are the what are the positives for the future? Do you think for Heart and maybe some of the other charities, uh, specifically in the New Forest, but just in general? I think people are talking to each other an awful lot more, and they're seeing where opportunities are for working together and understanding that there is going to be an enormous amount of value to us to go for joint funding applications, joint. Um, projects and to give as much breadth as we possibly can to our audiences um, and that engagement with the community is going to become key so it may not be for example we do um, art as art therapy and go into schools and do one-to-one -one working whereas I think now um, there is also going to be more around broader community-based work and we don't stop doing the art therapy if it's required it's still very much there but perhaps we're working with other organisations to um, big, make bigger um, opportunities for people to engage in larger numbers um, and trying to get to some of the harder to reach areas. You know, it, it's really quite difficult sometimes for communities to go even from one side of the forest to another. So we need to go to them and we need to find out safe ways of doing it, particularly in these days. And online can 
furnish some of that but it's not going to be the answer to everything so outdoor working is certainly something that we are very very keen to pursue we've done several projects outdoors um, at different venues across the area and we will certainly be looking at working again with um, students from various schools and colleges to bring them together um, but also providing bigger events and uh, engaging with other people on different levels to you know show them who we are what we do and hopefully at some point there will be an opportunity to have a proper festival every year which we did in a small way a couple of years ago and that's how folio sort of was born um, but i do think there is a, an appetite now for people to explore all these possibilities so taking that forward yeah that that's the way to go i think is more partnership working doing it in a more cohesive way, understanding what our strengths are as individual organisations and bringing those on board for other organisations and spreading the load a bit more. Yeah. And also sharing our skills. You yeah. know, that's really important. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of obviously lockdown and the, the way things are changing and they're changing daily. Mm. Yeah. Um, but obviously the outdoor work is something that it, it can be done. You know, mm. it's certainly in terms of, of me getting back into a venue and doing the work that I do, that's sporadic it's i managed to get into a room vaguely over over august but obviously that will now kind of stop but in terms of outdoor work that's something that you can continue mm. can you just explain a little bit about what it is what is the outdoor work um it's been bringing together groups of people i mean we've had students from a couple of sixth form colleges we've had groups of adults with sort of mild to medium mental health issues we work in a venue that's carefully chosen so that it's all risk assessed and carefully boundaried so that people are not just going to wander off and disappear. Um, and they are usually working in a group of a maximum of eight, as I think I've said before, where there are volunteers there to support those people. Sometimes they come with their own carers or teaching staff, teaching assistants and so on. And depending on the need, um, they will then work with a therapist and a number of volunteers to do work with found objects, natural environment. There's a bit of meditation very often to start each group off so that people are really in the space and in the moment. Um, there's usually a campfire with the opportunity to make hot drinks and toast marshmallows and that kind of thing. It's a lovely group situation and they will, will make things like perhaps a, um, a bee box or bee house or a, an insect box or uh, wind chimes and things like that that are using natural materials quite simply put together but it also requires a certain amount of interaction and communication and we've worked also with wonderful creative woodsmen who are absolutely skilled in looking at the environment and teaching people about what insects are doing this and what birds you're hearing and all that kind of thing so it's it's a very calming and enjoyable situation with the students who are younger we require them to turn their phones off and every member of staff that comes with them says I don't know how you've done that because that's the thing we can't get them to do <laughs> yeah. um, and if you actually switch the phones off and allow them to connect the, the children to connect or the students to connect with each other in a meaningful way and not just through a screen there is the most incredible um, response to that and it really does indicate just how reliant we've become on devices when actually we've got so much that is therapeutic and right on our doorsteps and we just need to open our eyes and connect with it again yeah uh, educating them as well yeah yeah i mean it's uh, certainly in terms of, of being in the forest it's just such a perfect place to be mm. and obviously you grew up in the forest so you've you you've kind of mm. always lived here 
Like, yes, well, apart from an aberration of 10 years when I went to France, but yeah, <laughs> it was the place I needed to come back to and it, it does feel very much like home. And uh, it's, it's changed since I was a child and there are areas of the forest that you can't just go charging across in a car or on a bike and things. And that's quite right because you've got to protect the environment and it's a really vital environment to keep and save. Um, and that's why we're really pleased to work with people like the National Park Authority here and um, looking at, you know, where we can develop sites that are private enough for people to feel confident and safe in to do our, our work, but at the same time not um, making any kind of impact or negative impact on the environment. Um, so, yeah, the New Forest is really very important to me and I, I don't see myself ever leaving here again. Um, it's just, you know, where I feel most comfortable and most at home. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, in terms of looking at what else is going on for Heart, um, where can people find out what you're up to, what Heart are doing, and any of the others? I know obviously you, uh, Coda is very close to your Heart now, uh, being a trustee. Yeah. Can you let us know where, where we can find out more about what's going on? Yes, if you, if you have a look at our website, we're www.heart.works and the, um, you can sign up on that for a newsletter in the contact page. And that is a newsletter that we send out electronically um, whenever we've got news to um, send out, which is uh, not always every month, but you know, we try to keep in touch with people like that. We've also got a Facebook page, which you can obviously look for and like. It's Heart Limington. And um, if you want to get involved with us in some way, want to volunteer with us, we obviously don't have a huge amount that you can be actually part participating with at the moment sadly but we're always looking for people with um, interest in what we do and possibly fundraising ideas um, if you want to go and you know uh, I was going to say climb Everest but I don't think that's a good thing to do ecologically speaking these days um, but if you want to do something to to raise funds for us we'd be thrilled to talk to you um, we are always interested in uh, hearing from people who have stories to share who understand um, what the creative impact has been for them and how it's helped them and testimonials are always incredibly important for us as well so people's stories are really great what we want to do when we create our um, we hope to do a youtube channel to, to put this new uh, online input onto um, is to create an online gallery so that people can submit their work to that they can do that with nest as well at the moment through the spudworks website um, but you know we want to hear from you we want this to be something that you're engaging with and if people would like to have their thoughts and ideas considered for how we go forward then that's great as well so um, through the facebook yeah. page and through the website and through the website yeah yeah oh that's brilliant that's that's fantastic and i know personally from uh, working on nest and putting my little film together for that with the creative writing prompt uh, that that's uh, that's really worthwhile because i looked at some mm. other videos on there and uh, you know that's uh, that's a a great resource for for people just to yeah. uh, to go into excellent oh well thank you so much annie for your time today it's been a pleasure as usual <laughs> my pleasure too yeah, so, let's talk yeah it's yeah always good to talk um and so thank you very much uh, annie jeffrey and we will hopefully catch up again soon thank, thank you, you jeffrey very much. yeah thank That's you it. okay thank you for listening and please subscribe follow or like and if you'd like more information on me or my guests or would like to know how we could work together then visit the website www.atticasarts.com I'd love to hear from you. Take care.